Did you guys hear about the guy who invented the knock-knock joke? Yeah, he just won the Nobel Prize. He just won the Nobel Prize. Isn't that, isn't that great? All right. Grab your Bibles. Turn to the book of Revelation. I, I showed this um, to the first service. Um, but if you want find to find where the book of Revelation is, open your Bible to the middle and then flip to the front and then flip your Bible over and then open it to the back. And there you'll find Revelation. What I just did there is like common core math, like the, the, new, the new style of math that everyone's doing, okay? You get to the same place, it just has more steps and doesn't make any sense. Okay. That's all I know about common core. My daughter is going into the eighth grade, and some of the things she's studying, I, I'm like, I can't help you anymore. You're, you're now moved beyond my capabilities in, in some respects, so I'm a pastor, and a lot of that left my mind. But if you're going to be an engineer or something like that, you probably should pay attention to all that algebra. Okay. Uh, today we're beginning a uh, new series on the seven churches of Revelation. So this is Revelations chapter one, two, and three that we're going to be in for the next uh, few weeks. And I've just kind of had this on my heart for the last year, six months, year or so, just that I want to do a series on the seven churches of Revelation. Um, The title of our message today is called uh, The Risen Lord Speaks to His Bride. How many know that the church uh, um, is the bride of Christ, metaphorically speaking, is the bride of Christ, as as scripture um, instructs us. Um, I'm going to basically take this first message and we're going to spend some time in chapter, Revelation chapter one. We're going to go through the whole chapter and um, and then Jesus addresses the seven churches um, in Asia Minor in chapters two and three. And so, but he kind of set, we need to set it up a little bit in chapter one. We're going to spend some time there. But here's the, I just want to build the context and, and, and do some groundwork for the series that we're going into. Um, in the year 96 AD, approximately 65 years after Christ was risen from the dead, the apostle John was exiled to the island of Patmos um, for the sake of preaching the gospel. Uh, Tertullian, the historian of that day, tells us that um, you know all the all the apostles died of martyrdom, except for Judas and John, the apostle John. They tell us that the historian of the day, Tertullian, tells us they tried to martyr John, but it didn't work. Um, they couldn't get him to stop preaching the gospel, so they, they threw him into a vat of boiling oil to kill him, and um, it didn't work. He continued preaching from within the vat of oil. Somewhat like um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in the book of Daniel, like they, they were thrown into the fire, but they, they, were, they kept, they lived. They didn't die. Okay, I don't know. There's a more eloquent way to say that. It escaped me. So... They tried to kill him. They couldn't do it. Um, the, the Roman emperor, uh, Domitian, he commanded the apostle to be thrown into boiling oil. Um, but John just continued to preach from within the oil. So um, that's a pretty, how I many of that would be a pretty cool way to be delivered by the Lord? 
Um, it also says, or, or tradition also tells us that another time um, they forced John to drink poison to try to kill him. Uh, but how many know that Mark 6, 18, it says, where Jesus says to his disciples, um, you, you, you can pick up serpents and they won't hurt you. You're going to drink poison and it won't kill you. And um, those two examples became very relevant in the apostles' lives, the apostle um, uh, Paul and, of course, the apostle John. Uh, but they tried to kill him. What do you do with the apostle you can't kill and you don't want to hear anymore? You put him on the island of Patmos. And I've got a couple of pictures of the island of Patmos. So um, this is island of Patmos. It kind of looks like Catalina Island to me. Has anyone here ever been to Catalina Island? That's kind of, that's kind of what this looks like to me. Um, it doesn't look like the worst place to be exiled to. I don't know. There are probably worse islands, of course. I'll go to the next picture. This is probably very similar. This particular angle of Patmos is probably similar in many respects to what it looked like in John's day because there's nothing there. There's no people there. And go to the last picture. So this is the, this is the, the background. This is, this is the place. It is on this island, um, modern-day uh, Greece. Um, this is a Greek island uh, today where John received this prophetic revelation uh, much of which you and I are waiting and watching to unfold in the future. Okay, so 1,927 years ago, this revelation was, uh, Paul, uh, John, I should say, received this revelation and was commanded to write this revelation down. How many know that uh, John, was a, John was a very um, old man at this point in time? We're talking 96 AD. He walked with Christ like in the the 20s, you know, um, Jesus was, was crucified around, around 30 AD. Um, I know some of you are thinking 33 AD. Don't worry about it. It was about that, about that time. Okay, so here John is a, a very old man at this point. But how many know that God would not let John die because John had, or God had unfinished business with John? And by the way, I just want to say, and I was kind of preparing uh, this message. Some of you, you, maybe you're here and you're asking, like, what is my purpose? And oftentimes we, the, it's young people who ask this question, like, we're trying to find my purpose. What, is, what am I supposed to do in life? We're trying to find our way. You know, what am I going to do when I grow up? But how many know that oftentimes um, even older people, elderly people, can get to a place in life where they're like, I don't know what my purpose is anymore. I used to have a business. Uh, now I'm retired. I, I'm, now we're empty nesters, and I just don't know what my purpose is anymore. I just want to say to you, if you're here and you're, you have got breath in your lungs, God has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny for you. There is a purpose for every season of the soul. And perhaps the season you're in right now isn't the purpose of that season, isn't the same purpose of the season before, but I do want to assure you God has a purpose for the season that you're in right now, no matter what your age is. Maybe you're in your 90s. God has a purpose for you. John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John um, between 90 and 95 AD, and he wrote Revelation 96 AD. Uh, at that time, most people lived, um, the average li- life expectancy during that time was people lived into their 50s. And, and uh, we believe that the Apostle John at least lived into his 90s, and if not into his uh, hundreds. And so God was not done with John. How many remember um, we, uh, Pastor Howard Skinner uh, preached here at the beginning of last year? He's, he came to Emily and I, and he's like, I, I feel like I have a word for the church. And, and I was thinking like, okay, so, because last year we took a sabbatical, my wife and I, in the, in the summertime. And I'm thinking, okay, well, 
he, he came to us, uh, you know, just a few months before the beginning of the year and says, I feel like I have a word for the church. And I'm thinking like, okay, well, when can we get you in? Like, well, I'm taking a sabbatical and in the summertime and maybe we'll get you in then. And he was like, um, no, I'm thinking it's like more urgent than that. I'm like, okay, you know, this man's been preaching a long time, man of God. Like, let's get you in at the beginning of the year, you know, when we still had one service. Because how many know two services is it's a little more work to preach in two services, but um, I'm so thankful that we did because um, Brother Howard got to speak up here and preach up here and impart up here, and he died later that year. He died later that summer, and I'm so glad we got him in when he did. He was 92 years old when he died, and so listen, no matter what age you are, no matter what season of life you're in, God has a plan, purpose, and destiny for you. This was the case with John. This is certainly the case with us. You just need to find out what that purpose is. The Apostle John wrote four books in the New Testament. Um, the, gospel, the Gospel of John, obviously. And um, the Gospel of John, I just want to talk about a little bit um, about John's ministry. The Gospel of John is different than uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what's known as the synoptic Gospels. In other words, they're similar. They're the, they're the same story, but told from a slightly different perspective. Um, the, and they cover the last year of Jesus' ministry. Jesus had essentially on earth a three-year ministry. Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, basically cover that last year of ministry. The Gospel of John, John's elderly again, and he, he writes the book of John, uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then and the book of Revelation, because um, he gets to a place in his life where, and he realizes, you know what? No one has covered the first two years of Jesus' ministry. So the Gospel of John covers the first two years and the last year of Jesus' ministry, and there are many details included in the book of John that are not included in the other synoptic Gospels. So John wrote the Gospel of John, the three epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then the book of Revelation. No one came up with another creative name to name any of his books than John. <laughs> it's like, you know, Paul has all these different names for all of his you know, epistles. Okay, just John, one, two, three, and John. So um, the book of Revelation, which we're going to be, again, we're going to be studying the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, like many other books in the New Testament is a letter. Most of the books that we have in your New Testament are letters written to either individuals or to churches. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, 21 of them are actually letters, letters to specific individuals or churches. In the case of the book of Revelation, it was addressed to the seven churches that we're going to be talking about in the series, the seven churches that were located in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today. So these, church, uh, these churches that were in modern-day Turkey in Asia Minor, um, go ahead and put up, there's a, I have a picture of them um, where they are. And here there's Island of Patmos. So he's, John's exiled to the Island of Patmos. And then you have these, these churches. They're on the same trade route, and they're, on the same, they're in the same postal district. So it was very convenient that God had spoken uh, to John to write to these churches because the circulation of the book of Revelation was very... Um, easy to do um, through that through that area. Now, um, there are more than there were more than seven churches in Asia Minor, and even though this letter is not addressed to them, we understand that this letter is um, intended for the church as a whole. Really, this this letter is intended for any person 
through the course of history who has called themselves a Christ follower, including you and including me. I want to explain why that is the case. Number one, the obvious one, it's in the Bible. We know that canonized scripture is meant for all of us. But let me give you another reason why, why these seven churches actually represent the church as a whole. Um, and I want you to see this letter as being addressed to you. That 1,927 years ago, God gave John a revelation, told him to write it down, and this is God's letter to you personally. That God had a message for you. And this message is actually recorded in this book, and he intended it to get into your hands. The number seven, as many of you know, if you study biblical numerology, the number seven, as many of you know, is a major theme in the Bible. Uh, it was in the ancient world. It's a major theme in the Bible, and especially in the book of Revelation. The number seven occurs 54 times in the book of Revelation. In that one book alone, the number seven occurs 54 times, and it has significance every time it is, it is said. So here we have, there are seven lampstands. There are seven spirits before God. There are seven stars in his hand, seven seals, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven plagues, seven bowls of wrath, and also John Elway's number, as you know, many of you know, was number seven, and I just feel like that's so significant today. And that should just mean something to you. If you were born after the year 2000, you don't know who John Elway is probably, or care. But let me just tell you, that was the Broncos' greatest era was with John Elway. How many agree with me? Can I get a witness? Okay, all right. You have to add little details like that to make sure people don't fall asleep. Okay. So in the ancient world, and especially of the Jews in the first century, the number seven was considered to be the perfect number that stands for fullness or completeness. Okay, the number seven represents complete or fullness. Okay, so by writing and by God commanding John to address these seven churches, these prominent churches of the day, John was in fact writing to the church as a whole. Not only was it the, for the church of his day, the church throughout history, that is the church of the last 2,000 years, and the church of today, including you and me. That number represents the church as a whole, and you and I are included in that. It was the risen Lord's intent that you and I would read this letter, study this letter, and gain insight um, into this letter for how to live our lives and how to serve God. I find it interesting, and just again, just to kind of build the context, I was thinking about the New Testament and the church. Um, at the time this was written, before John was exiled to the island of Patmos, John lived in Ephesus. So he's actually going to be writing a letter that's going to go to his home church in, in Ephesus. Um, John attended the church in Ephesus. He wasn't the pastor of the church of Ephesus. That was actually Timothy who was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And I just find it interesting that Jesus, you know, resurrects from the dead, uh, basically 2980, Jesus resurrects from the dead. Um, the Holy Spirit's poured out, and God commands the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. They take that word seriously. They go in all the world, and especially the Apostle Paul goes, and God um, uh, establishes through the Apostle Paul the church in Ephesus and many of these other churches. Paul writes his, his epistles, his, the gospel of grace, um, goes throughout the whole world. And so all that happens. And then it, they're all martyred, you know. And then at the end of John's life, Jesus has another message for his church. I just find that to be so interesting that Jesus 
goes, um, wants to speak to these churches that were established under the gospel of grace, under you know, Paul's ministry and those different things. And he says, I have one last message for you for, the, for church history. So interesting to me. But it is the Lord's intent that we gain insight into following him. I'm going to read the entire first chapter, and then in the, in the next subsequent weeks, we'll get into the individual churches in chapters 2 and 3. In this first chapter, you'll see here that the risen Lord, Jesus himself, who appears to, before John, um, speaks, um, speaks and, and tells him to write some things down. Chapters 2 and 3 are exclusively Jesus speaking. They're, they're words in red. You'll see if you have a red letter edition in your Bible, you'll see it's just Jesus speaking to his bride, to his new church um, that was born. So it says this, Revelation 1, 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. I'm not going to pick apart every single verse, but let me pick, pick apart a few here. Some translations say here, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me, I want to say this. The book of Revelation is not just a revelation from Jesus Christ. It is also a revelation of Jesus Christ. You might have a translation that says the revelation of Jesus Christ. How many know that as we grow in revelation of Christ, we will grow in revelation of Christ by studying this book. We will grow in intimacy with Christ by studying this book. Many people look at the book of Revelation like, oh yeah, that's just eschatology, end times, you know, and it's hard to understand and there's all this imagery. And how many know there's a lot of flavors of eschatology, the study of end times. There's a lot of flavors of that out there in the world. Like the church doesn't agree on all this stuff, you know. There's some things we can and should and do agree on, some of the fundamentals, but how many know when it comes to when the rapture is and who the antichrist is and what the mark of the beast is and when Jesus is coming to establish the kingdom. Uh, the church as a whole does not agree on all those details. I just want to say, studying the book of Revelation, the most important thing about it is not that we would nail down all the details of when this is going to happen, that going to happen. The most important thing is, is that we get a revelation from God of Jesus Christ. A revelation of the person, the nature, the character, his intent, his heart for the, for the world. So as we unpack this book and read this book, more than like, I got to find out when I need to go to my bomb shelter and uh, store up my ammo and those different things. Like, I'm, I'm not against ammo or storing up things, but I'm just saying that's not the most important thing here. The most important thing is opening your heart and getting a revelation of Christ himself. Because how many know, no matter what happens in the world, if you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit and you have a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't matter what's going to happen. He's going to take care of you. And that take care of you might end up being martyrdom and you go to be with him forever. Take care of you might be, I provided a way to keep you and your family alive, right? And so we need a revelation of Jesus. The most important thing is intimacy with him. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So, uh, yeah, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Notice the word blessed here. We are blessed when we read these words aloud. We're blessed when we hear these words. We are blessed, especially when we take these words to heart. The word um, blessed there, we just um, this year did a series on the Beatitudes. How many remember the series on the Beatitudes? It was fun. 
um, the word blessed in the Beatitudes is the makarios, and it means happy, blessed, or to be envied. And this is the same Greek word that we find here in the book of Revelation. So when we read these words aloud, when we hear these words and when we take them to heart, we are going to be blessed. That's a good promise, and that's a good enough reason to study this book. Amen? Verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the providence of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. I love the, 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 the majesty, the, 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 um, the lofty image it portrays of, of God and portrays of his son Jesus in heaven in the book of Revelation. It's such a cool thing. By the way, thank you for singing that, that, that song. Uh, we're about ready to read some of this language that we were just singing up here. We're about ready to ring, read some of this in just a minute. But it says here, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. How many know that he's not the only born from the dead? Amen. You and I are also, he was the firstborn from the dead, but you and I have also been raised to life in Christ Jesus. Amen? So he went, he's the firstborn from the dead. We are also raised with Christ. Uh, Verse five, to him who loved us, I love this because he loves me, to him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. If you don't get anything else out of chapter one here and out of this message, he loves you. And how did he demonstrate that? He freed us from our sins by his blood. It's so, such good news. Verse 6. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He has freed us by his blood to serve God as kings and priests forever. You, you are called to be a royal priest for all of eternity. Like, this is, the, this is the vocation that will never run dry. I don't know exactly what we'll be doing in heaven. Like, you know, we'll have jobs. or we, I don't think we're just going to sit around and be bored. I think we're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ forever. And whatever that looks like, I'm not sure. But the, your eternal vocation is to rule and reign with Christ in heaven forever. That's a good, that's a good vocation. I don't know if we're going to have butchers, bakers, candlestick makers, but I think we're all going to be full-time worshipers and we're going to be kings and priests with God forever. Okay, the next verse we're going to look at has a promise for you and for me and for the whole world, and it's good news. Revelation 1-7, it says this, Look, he is coming with the clouds. Jesus is coming back. He's coming with the clouds. He's in heaven. He's returning with the clouds. Watch this. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierce him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. That is good news for you and for me. Uh, The history of the world will not continue to march on as things are forever. God is going to come make all things wrong right. And this is a promise for you and me that Jesus is coming to make all things wrong right. And if you've had a a loved one, perhaps, that has passed away in the Lord, this is a promise saying that, you know what? Your loved one is with him. He is coming back to establish his kingdom. He has a plan, purpose, and destiny for this planet and for the peoples of the earth. The day is coming when King Jesus will establish his kingdom here on earth. Both Jews and Gentiles will acknowledge that Jesus is the one who was and is and is to come, the true Messiah. I want to show you a a cross-reference from the book of Zechariah. 
because I want you to see that God is going to do something amazing uh, in the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. God is not done with the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And even though Revelation sort of addresses, you know, those who pierced them, well, who pierced them? Well, it was the Gentiles, but it was because of the Jews. So it really encompasses all peoples. It says here, all peoples on earth. So it, it kind of says everyone. Um, Zechariah 12.10 is talking about the same thing, but from the Jewish perspective. I want you to see this. Zechariah 12.10. It says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So there's a specific geographic location here. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. So God's great, giving them grace and a revelation and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. That day will be bittersweet for many people. It's a, it's a great and glorious day. Bittersweet for many people. Bitter in the sense that the whole world is going to realize the King Jesus is the Messiah. And for me, that's good news. Like when Jesus is revealed to the whole world and he comes back. But for many people who have rejected the gospel and rejected Jesus, there, were, there will come a point in their life, those who are on earth when this happens, when they realize, oh my gosh, I've, I have rejected this gospel. I've pushed it away. There was a witness in my heart and I wouldn't submit to it. I wouldn't yield to it. And there's, there will be a, a coming to head there and they will grieve. But how many know... So that's the bitter side of it. But the sweet side is this. Sweet because blessed is anyone who realizes that Jesus is the Messiah. Why? Because all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's like when we got saved, right? It's the, the, amazing, the song Amazing Grace. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace my fears relieved. His, his grace is what brings us to the place realizing like I am lost. I'm separated. I have nothing in myself that can make me right with God. What do I do? That revelation is a scary, a tra- uh, tragedy revelation. It is, it is a coming to the, to the end of yourself. How many of that revelation, when God gives you that, he follows it up with, but here's grace. Here's mercy. Here's love. Accept this free gift that I offer to you. So it's a, it'll be a bittersweet day for the entire world. People will realize they've rejected Jesus as the Messiah, but their eyes will be open to see him as the Messiah, and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 8, Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord, uh, the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. All right, now we're going to look at John's revelation, uh, his vision, actually, of Christ. It wasn't just a revelation. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So that's, again, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergam, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. How I many know if you hear a trumpet voice behind you? Your inclination would be to look and turn around and see what that trumpet voice is. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around of his chest. His head, um, his hair, the hair on his head was as white, was white, as white as wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. 
his voice was like the voice of uh, the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. So here, John sees this um, Jesus in his glorified state. How many know that when the apostles walked with him on the earth, um, Jesus was, was, is, and always will be the eternal God? But he was kind of veiled, if you will, from the world in that, in that respect. When, when they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus revealed his glory to them. And here John is seeing um, Jesus standing, Jesus is standing before him in all of his brilliance. What happened? Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And that's what you would do too and what I would do. If God just revealed all of his glory and his splendor of who he is right now before you, all of us would be on our, on our faces. Not one of us would be able to stand. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now, look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Come on. He holds the, death, the keys of death and Hades. I also find it interesting that, that when Jesus talked to Peter... And Peter had received the revelation of who Christ was. He said to Peter, Peter, um, you, you are no longer, you are no longer, Pe- you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, you will loose in heaven. I love the fact that Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades, but he also empowers the bride of Christ on earth to walk in and to release the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of this earth. Amen. So I don't, I don't know what you feel about yourself, but I just want to say you're a glory carrier. You are, you are someone who's supposed to bring the good news, the light and love of Jesus to this world. You need to get a higher view of Jesus. And guess what? When you get a higher view of Jesus, that doesn't make you have a lower view of you. A higher view of Jesus just means your identity's in him, and you get a higher view of yourself. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're going to jump over to... Verse 19. Verse 19, to help us understand chapters 2 and 3, which we'll get into in the next few weeks, Jesus is going to explain some of this imagery. Verse 19 says this. He said, write therefore what you see, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden uh, lampstands is this. The seven stars are the seven angels... Uh, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I love that Jesus stops to explain this imagery to John. How many know? How many like it when God explains something in the Bible? I like that. Um, I'll be reading something, and I'm like, it's like if you have ears to hear, you would understand what this is. I'm like, I'm not getting it, Lord. And then he explains it. Thank God he explains it. So here we see this one's, the, the lampstand's very, very plain, very open, very easy to understand. He says the seven lampstands are the seven churches. They, those lampstands he saw represent the seven churches. Um, I want to unpack a little bit the word angel here. He says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. I, I would say most scholars believe that the angels of the seven churches refers to the pastoral leadership over those churches. And here's why. I want to look at this Greek word with you. Um, the Greek word that this was written in is uh, Strong's 32, and it is the Greek word uh, angelos. 
And it means this, a messenger or delegate, either human or heavenly, that is a celestial being, someone sent by God to proclaim his message. So we see here that this word can, um, can mean individual people. And I think in this context, it does. I think it's reasonable um, within this context to assume that he's talking to and about the pastor and the church leadership of those churches. It also seems, if you think about it, it also seems goofy to me that God would go to John, reveal himself to John, give John this revelation, tell him to write this down, and then send it in letters to angelic beings. Like, where do you send that letter? You know, write it to, you know, okay, anyway. Not that I don't believe that there are angelic beings who probably have an assignment to every church. I, I, that's probably true. There probably are angelic beings that are assigned to Greeley and assigned to City Lights Church. I, I, I suppose that's true. But I think in this context, it's talking about um, a messenger who is human. In this case, it would be the local pastor. If you're talking about the church in Ephesus, that's going to be uh, Timothy, because Timothy was the pastor in the church in Ephesus. Um, just to further build this point, this same Greek word was used to describe John the Baptist, not, not John the Apostle. It was used to describe John the Baptist in the Gospels, if you look at, that, if you look at the Greek there. And so uh, let me give you one more scripture that kind of supports this idea of, of the stars in his right hand being human leaders. And by the way, um, as much as this series is a series on growing in revelation knowledge of Jesus, I, I think this series is a, is a series on leadership. How many want it to be good leader? How many want to grow in their leadership? I want my leadership capacity to grow. I want my influence to go to grow. And so, uh, Daniel chapter twelve, verse uh, one, it says this: "Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever." How many think that's a good description of what a pastor should do? Pastors should turn many to righteousness, and it says they will shine like stars forever and ever. But really, I think that's a statement for anyone who turns many to righteousness. They will shine like stars forever and ever. So the stars in Jesus' right hand in the book of Revelation, in my view, represent the leadership of those churches, of the, of the seven churches of Revelation. All right, I'll kind of conclude with this here. Next week, we're going to dive into the first church, which is the church of Ephesus. But how many know these are timeless messages for the church throughout the course of history? And what you're going to see in these churches is a pattern. Uh, and I'm going to describe what this pattern is that we'll see. And because this is the way the Lord speaks to us. How many know what the, a, a love sandwich is? What the, the love sandwich? That is this. When you have something, a critique of someone constructive feedback, a criticism. You got to give someone feedback that isn't easy to hear. It's best done in a love sandwich. That is this. I love you very much. That's the bread. What you're doing isn't working. I love you very much. That's the love sandwich. And then you feed that to someone. Okay. And what people typically do is they're like, mm, that bread is delicious. The meat, I'm not so sure about, but yeah. And it goes down a little more smoothly. Criticism, feedback in love goes down a little more smoothly with the love sandwich. Well, what Jesus does here, because Jesus has some things to say 
to his bride. He has some things to say to the church that was established in 30 AD, right around there. It's now 96 AD. Now the risen Lord has some things to say to his church. How many believe the Lord has some things to say to his church today? Okay. Some of it good. Some of it bad. Some of it ugly, right? And so I want to show you that Jesus does, I call this the Jesus love sandwich. That's what I read when I see this. So here's a Jesus love sandwich. He gives them four things. There's accommodation, criticism or critique, correction, and a crown. Look at that. They're all C's. Isn't that great? This is what pastors do, by the way. Communicators do. They distill things to be memorable. Um, Memorable is the right word. So this is the Jesus love sandwich. He gives each church accommodation, a criticism, a correction, and he has a crown. So accommodation. He's like, here's your strengths. Here's the things that you're doing right. Here's the things that you've done well. Good job. Here's the critique. Uh, here's your weaknesses. Here's where you could use some improvement. And Jesus has a, has a critique for, I, I think, almost every single church that we're going to talk about. Okay, How many know that's probably true of each of us? I don't know about you, but I haven't arrived. But bless God, I've left. Right? <laughs> that is such an old saying. It still works. It's still good. It's something Howard would probably say. I haven't arrived, but bless God, I've left. Okay. Okay, correction. Uh, this is Jesus' instruction. Thank God that Jesus doesn't just point out where we could use improvement. Jesus also instructs us. Amen. That's loving. When you have kids or you have an employees. How many have ever been part of an uh, um, employee review? What is it called? Your annual review at your job. And they always tell you you have to say something that they're doing good. And you have to say something that they could do better, right? But you have to give them the instruction on how they can do better, not just this is what you're doing wrong. How can you do better? Thank God that Jesus loves us so much. He isn't just about giving us criticism. He's also about giving us the instructions to thrive. Amen? That's what I love about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the edification, the building, the strengthening of the church. And so um, there's encouragement, there's comfort. Um, At times there's pointing out this could be better, and oftentimes we're all too aware of those things anyway. But then the last thing, the crown, this is Jesus' promise. He has a crown, he has a promise for every one of those churches. Each of us have strengths, which should be commended. Each of us have weaknesses. We each have opportunities for growth, but we need God's guidance and encouragement to grow in them. But how many know there's a crown when we do things his way? Amen? If we, there, here's, there's a warning in these seven churches. If we don't, and if it, we see here that if they don't acknowledge their weakness and their brokenness and they don't step into God's solution for them, it's obvious that some of these churches were going to lose their influence. How many know that if you don't address your weaknesses, if I don't address my weaknesses, I won't lose my salvation, but I'm probably going to lose my influence. Amen. When God confronts you with a weakness, when God confronts you with an opportunity, there is a season of grace to understand what the Lord is saying to you. You won't lose your salvation if you don't acknowledge it and own it, but you, you are in a place where you could lose influence. In fact, in one of the churches, he says, um, if you don't do this, I'm going to re- remove your lampstand from you. In other words, I'm going to remove my influence from you because you can't be trusted with influence if you're not going to deal with the thing that I'm highlighting. And so in this series, I want to just 
have the Holy Spirit just speaking to our hearts. What is he speaking to you today? What is the area that he wants to give you encouragement, correction, comfort, counsel, all those things? When I think about what the Lord said to the seven churches in Revelation, I also think about what would the Lord want to say to the church of America? I think we probably all have our ideas. What, what would the Lord say? What encouragement, what good things will the Lord say about the church in America? I know you've done this. The modern missions movement, you know. What are the, what are the corrections he would bring? What about Colorado? The church of Colorado. What would he say to the church of Colorado? What good, what negative? The church of northern Colorado. What, what, what are the things that are com, uh, accommodation that he would say to us? What criticisms? How about the church of Greeley? What would he say specifically the church, the capital C church of Greeley? Or how about City Lights? This one I meditate on a lot because I want to know, I want to know what the risen Lord wants for City Lights Church. And I'm one of the people who am in a position that the Lord would tell. <laughs> There's other people he would tell, but he would certainly speak to me. I want to know what, what are we doing well? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What is Jesus' instruction to us? What is the promise he has for us if we do it his way? But let's go a step further. What about, what would Jesus say, the risen Lord, the King of Kings right now? What would he say to the men's ministry? What would he say to the women's ministry? He'd talk to you about that, wouldn't he, Leslie? What would he say to the youth ministry, the children's ministry? What would he say perhaps to your city group, if you're leading a city group? This is your strengths. This is your weaknesses. Or how about this? What would he say to your family? How many know that we're all leaders in our families? What would he, you know what? Your family does this really well, but you've, you've lost this. You need to correct this. You need instructions for this. What would the Holy Spirit, what would he reveal in our families? And lastly, what would he just say to you? What, what kind of instruction, correction, comfort would he speak to our lives? This is all predicated, and we need to remember that Jesus loves us and it's all predicated on I'm getting there verse 5 Revelation 1 5 to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood he loves you so much he has amazing plan purpose and destiny for us I want you to grow in influence I want this church to grow in influence and um, I just want to, as we dive into this, these seven books, or these seven churches in the next several weeks, um, I believe God's going to bring some amazing insight, and we're going to fall in love with Jesus more.